0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And it is time for the tech news for Thursday, March 4th, 2021. And before I begin, I want to address something from the news episode I published earlier this week. I talked about how the social network Gab, known for uh, housing a lot of far-right users, became the target of hackers. But one thing I did not mention, this was a failing on my part, is that while I don't agree at all philosophically with the average Gab users, I also condemn hacking in an effort to gain access to systems and steal you know, people's data. I think intrusion experts are important. They can help companies discover and patch security vulnerabilities. And sometimes folks will do that all on their own. They'll prod at systems to see if they're really secure. And typically they'll reach out and tell a company if they found a vulnerability. Unless, of course, they're going all black hat with the hacker route. But this was a case of someone scraping data off of Gab's systems and and then sharing that data externally. And while I might vehemently disagree with the general political viewpoint over at Gab, I also don't condone stealing data. Anyway, no one told me to say any of that. In fact, no one's even brought it up. Maybe I'm just being, you know, overreactive or whatever, but it occurred to me after that show went live that I really should say something about it, as I think it's really the ethical thing to do. Okay, let's get on to the news. Our first story falls into the category of irony. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit has found in favor, at least partly, of a German company called BitManagement regarding the company's claim that the U.S. Navy copied software from BitManagement without permission. So this is a copyright case, but another way to say it is that the U.S. Navy has been found guilty of piracy. Which, as I understand it, is the opposite of what navies are supposed to do. All goofs aside, this is just the latest development in a problem that started a decade ago. The U.S. Navy purchased software called BS Contact, which is a virtual reality suite from BitManagement. Actually, they went through a third-party company. And then the Navy copied that software onto its internal network, but... According to Bit Management, the purchase of the software did not include a license for the Navy to do that. The Navy ended up installing the software on more than half a million computers. The company filed suit against the Navy in 2016 on the matter, demanding that the Navy pay for all those copies, which amounts to hundreds of millions of dollars. So why did it take so long for the case to reach its current status? Well, a big part of the problem is that the Navy was working with a third-party retailer. That acted kind of like a go-between, and it meant that Navy officials actually believed that they did have the permission to copy the software, while BitManagement maintains the Navy did not, in fact, have that permission. Now, the initial court case found in favor of the U.S. Navy against BitManagement, but then BitManagement appealed the matter The Court of Appeals partly upheld the earlier ruling in favor of the Navy, but it did say that while there was an implied license between BitManagement and the Navy, the Navy failed to track usage of the software across its network, which would have been part of the terms of this implied license. As such, the Navy is liable for copyright infringement. Now the case will go back to federal claims court to decide what damages should be paid to BitManagement. And for its part, BitManagement says those damages should be somewhere in the neighborhood of half a billion dollars. Yikes. At Microsoft's virtual event, Ignite, the company unveiled a cloud-based platform for software developers interested in making applications that incorporate mixed reality. And just in case that phrase doesn't mean anything to you, mixed reality is sort of a spectrum of experiences that includes stuff like virtual reality, where the majority of what a user experiences through their senses comes courtesy of a computer, so the stuff you see and hear are all computer-generated, to augmented reality, which involves enhancing our perception of the world around us by incorporating digital experiences on top of or integrated with that world around us. So while Mesh sounds promising and it could lead to some really interesting implementations of mixed reality, uh, software engineer and technical fellow—that's uh, by the way a title, not a description. Alex Kipman said that the Hololens that's the mixed reality headset from Microsoft, won't be hitting consumer shelves anytime in the immediate future. Kitman said that the HoloLens has a way to go before it is in a form factor that consumers will really appreciate and enjoy. I think that's actually a really refreshing thing to hear. I've never used a HoloLens myself. I understand the experience is really compelling. It's really interesting. However, the headsets right now are a little bulky. They can become uncomfortable after you wear them for a bit. And Kipman's point is that a consumer product really needs to be, quote, comfortable enough and immersive enough and socially acceptable enough, end quote, and that the HoloLens just isn't there yet. For that reason, the HoloLens market is still aimed at businesses rather than, you know, the general consumer. The company Brave, which makes a web browser that focuses on user privacy, has announced that it has acquired a search engine. That search engine is called Tailcat, which in itself is the product of a similarly privacy-focused company called Clicks. But Clicks actually called it quits in April of last year in the wake of the pandemic, citing fundraising problems as being one of the big reasons the company had to shut down. Tailcat will transform into Brave Search, and it will be the default search engine for the Brave browser. Now, I have to admit, I had not heard of Brave before reading up on the news this week, but there are around 25 million active Brave users, according to the register. Brave blocks website trackers and ads, but it also has its own ad network, which is prompted some critics to question the ethics behind the company's revenue model. I'm going to have to look into this in a more thorough manner and do maybe a full episode about Brave because I find it interesting and their approach does seem to be a bit complicated. Now, it wouldn't be a news episode in 2021 if we didn't spend a little time talking about social networking platforms and their contribution to misinformation and radicalization. So first up is YouTube, which has once again suspended lawyer and former politician Rudy Giuliani's account. This makes it suspension number two in as many months. Uh, The ban will last for two weeks, during which time Giuliani will not be allowed to upload new videos to his channel. And you might ask, what was the reasoning behind this ban? Well, it was technically twofold. According to a YouTube spokesperson, quote, we removed content from Rudy W. Giuliani channel for violating our sale of regulated goods policy, which prohibits content facilitating the use of nicotine and our presidential election integrity policy, end quote. Now, if Giuliani gets a third strike within 90 days of this ban being lifted, his channel will get a permanent ban. Giuliani has spent a lot of time undermining the results of the 2020 U.S. election, saying repeatedly, that there was widespread fraud without, you know, providing any actual evidence that such fraud happened. In fact, he's been reprimanded for that very thing multiple times in multiple courts. And in semi-related news, Wired ran a story titled, TikTok Played a Key Role in MAGA Radicalization. MAGA being Make America Great Again. And they pointed out that while a lot of the public's focus on the subject of radicalization and extremism has been on platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Parler, or Parlay if you prefer, TikTok has mostly been overlooked. And Cameron Hickey, the author of the piece, makes the point that TikTok has way more active users than Parler ever did. And that radicalizing content on TikTok often falls into a categorization that makes it tricky For TikTok to actually moderate the content simply because TikTok hasn't really formulated policies that really cover that type of messaging. And the meme-generating culture at TikTok also means that these types of messages get augmented as more and more people interact with them and add to them and share them. It's also a reminder... That in a world where people are more isolated than they usually are, technological radicalization is playing a much larger role than it previously did. And since I mentioned Parler, last month the company filed an antitrust lawsuit against Amazon after Amazon Web Services, or AWS, gave Parler the boot, kicked him off the servers. This made the website homeless for a short time until it found new hosting services, The court ruled that Parler needed to file an amended complaint by February 16th, which Parler failed to do. It got a deadline extension, which ended on Tuesday, March 2nd, and they still didn't have an amended complaint. Instead, they withdrew the lawsuit, though they did file a different lawsuit against Amazon in the state of Washington, claiming defamation and breach of contract. Whether this suit will fare better remains to be seen. In the meantime, Parler is still banned from both the iOS and Android app stores, so there's no Parler app for those platforms, though users can still visit the web-based version of the site. The iOS app version of Netflix now has a feature called Fast Laughs, and as the name suggests, this feature delivers short videos of comedic content to the viewer, with some lasting as little as 15 seconds. So you get in, you get your joke, and you get out. As they say, clips come from movies, television series, and comedy specials, and it includes a way for users to share their favorites with their friends, assuming their friends are also Netflix subscribers, and the company plans to deliver around 100 clips each day for people to kind of sift through. Uh, The feature also offers a way for users to navigate straight to the source of where the clip came from if they want to watch the whole thing, which is really the whole reason for this feature to exist in the first place. I don't have an iPhone, so I have not had a chance to test this out myself, which is really too bad, as I could use a good laugh. And our final story, and one that I'm really excited about because I'm a nerd, is that researchers, including some at MIT libraries, have created a pretty nifty way to read unopened letters from hundreds of years ago. All right, first, let's present what the problem actually is. So back before there were envelopes, before you could get an envelope, put a letter in it, and seal it, There were just a couple of different ways that you could send a written message to someone that included some sort of protection against tampering. So one of those ways was that you could seal the message with a wax seal. You've probably seen TV shows or movies where this happens, where you put a blob of wax down to seal a letter shut, and then you use like a signet ring or something to stamp it so that you know that the message you get is legitimate and that no one has opened it. If the seal is broken when the message arrives, you know that somebody somewhere has opened the darn thing. And that could mean not just that the message had been compromised and potentially read, but it also opens up the possibility that someone altered the message. But another way to send a letter and try to keep it from being snooped on was a practice called letter locking. And it's actually a pretty simple idea. So you write your letter on paper, you know, One side of each piece of paper, put your stacks of paper together, and then you would fold your paper in such a way that to unfold it, you would have to tear the paper a little bit in the process. There'd be no way to unfold the letter without tearing the paper a little bit. Not tear it enough to rip the letter in half or anything, but there would be a tear in the paper. So if you got a letter and you saw that there was already a tear in the paper before you could even unfold it, you would know someone else had opened it before you got it. And then, intrigue. Now, flash forward a few hundred years. There are a lot of unopened letters from ages ago. And while we could open these letters in the intended way, it would actually cause damage to the documents, and arguably the actual folding method itself is part of the information we want to preserve. So how else are we supposed to get our beady little eyes on the contents of these letters? Well, these researchers used some really cool technology to read the letters without opening them. First, they used an x-ray scanner to thoroughly scan an unopened letter. And the scanner, which was designed to be used in dentistry, would create a three-dimensional x-ray scan of the letter, which included where ink was on the surface of the paper and where the folds were. Then, using a custom-built algorithm, the team had a computer virtually unfold this three-dimensional model into a two-dimensional reconstruction of the original letter. They were virtually unfolding the scan of the letter, at which point they could actually read it. And that whole process is so amazingly cool to me. It's a really nifty way to engineer around a tricky problem. Now, beyond that, I can see this general sort of approach being used to develop strategies for other types of machine learning and automated systems, Creating sets of rules so that machines like computers and robots can achieve a task is a big part of artificial intelligence. And while this application might have limited uses in its current form, you could see how a similar approach might be used to create a rule set for a robot when, say, it encounters a door. We humans typically know how to open doors, though I have to admit I'm pretty good at pushing on pull doors and vice versa. But robots find it all much more tricky, particularly because we have a lot of different kinds of doors with different ways to open them. Anyway, I thought this story was particularly interesting, and besides, I'm a medievalist at heart, so it had to go in. And that wraps up the news for Thursday, March 4th, 2021. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover on Tech Stuff, please let me know. Reach out on Twitter. The handle is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again